Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Improv stem from Viola Spolin and all of her work. And so all of that came from the 60s and the Second City, developed all of that work. And it, it just told that basically anybody could be a performer if, as long as you trusted your instincts and you trusted you know, yourself. You could be an actor. You didn't have to, didn't worry about talent. You just, as long as you trusted your instincts was more important to Dell and to Brecht and to Second City, trusting your instincts is more important than whether or not you're the most talented person on the earth. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, and my guest, Kevin Farley. This is going to be a fucking great episode. Yes, you know I why? I know it's going to be a great episode is because every time things get a little dicey in here, what happens is, well, Kevin's assistant uh, <laughs> has a technique to calm us all down and uh she shows her jugs uh, she shows a part of herself that um <laughs> frankly i haven't uh, seen in, in a while but um but that's another story i must say very 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 talented assistant she has a very large personality um a couple of them a couple of personalities <laughs> Okay, so I'm here and I'm excited because I'm going to give you the proper introduction and uh, you might have to sit back and you might cry because this is too long, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. Kevin Farley is the co-executive producer of the upcoming documentary entitled I Am Chris Farley, the first feature length biographical documentary about his brother Chris, the late comedy legend set to be released August 10th on Spike TV and in a few different cities across the country, which I already mentioned. I watched the film last night and the film tells the story of Chris Farley's life from his youth in Madison, Wisconsin and rise to fame on Saturday Night live to his days as the star of comedies like Tommy boy and black sheep. 
The film features friends and colleagues of Farley, including Christina Applegate, Dan Aykroyd, Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, Molly Shannon, Jay Moore, David Spade, and of course, Kevin Farley and his brothers as well. Kevin grew up in Madison as one of four children a year apart from his brother Chris. After earning a business degree at Marquette University, Farley went on to work for his father's business, but eventually moved to Chicago to study at the famed Second City, or as they call it, the Second City. After relocating to Los Angeles, he immediately began working with Adam Sandler in The Waterboy and also starred in the comedic films Black Sheep and Beverly Hills Ninja. Then Farley landed a starring role as Doug Linus on MTV's sitcom Together, where he was met with rave reviews. Kevin has also been seen in numerous hit TV series, such as Curb Your Enthusiasm, Rules of Engagement, The Neighbors, Hot in Cleveland, Just Shoot Me, United States of Terra, True Jackson, VP, and Hawaii Five-0, where he has a role that he just talked about beforehand. Maybe he'll talk about it again. He was also in the feature film An American Carol, directed by David Zucker, who was a guest here on this podcast. Farley's lead character was a spoof on director Michael Moore as the storyline moves into a satirical look at Hollywood and America's politically correct culture. He is visited by three spirits who take him on a hilarious journey in an attempt to show him the true meaning of America. The supporting cast included Kelsey Grammer, John Voigt, Leslie Nielsen, and the late Dennis Hopper. Kevin's additional films are The Yank, Roswell FM, The Sound of Magic, and most recently, Joe Dirt 2 with David Spade. Kevin moved behind the camera as co-writer and co-director of Hollywood and Wine, which takes an irreverent look at an actress struggling in Hollywood. In addition, Farley directed the comedy paranormal movie, which pokes fun of the found footage horror subgenre popular with moviegoers today. Right. When Kevin is not writing more screenplays or on sets filming, he shines in stand-up comedy, which is featured in the film. He usually appears as the headline act, but is open for such incredible acts as Chris Rock, Norm MacDonald, Jeffrey Ross, Kevin Nealon, Todd Glass, and Jeff Richards. Up next for Kevin is he's starring in two feature films, Crowning Jewels, Frat Pack, and now the third thing upcoming, an animated series, American Family. Kevin Farley has truly established himself as a comedic presence both on the big screen and television, multitasking his true gifted talents seems easy for Farley because he does it all with a fabulously contagious sense of humor, both on screen and off. And now, with this new film, I Am Chris Farley, which everybody should be really excited about. Please welcome my guest today. I'm so excited about this. Please welcome Kevin Farley. Gosh almighty. I tell you, Barry, you got a way. Holy mackerel. I'm actually bawling my eyes out to, like, over-flattered. I don't know what to think. I don't know. <laughs> but thank you. I All of it was really, really nice. Yeah. I, lo I love to think of this show as like an all in the family episode, you know, no, you're you, amazing. You, oh, thanks. Yeah, man. That's amazing. Yeah. Coming from you that, uh, that's, that's, that's well done. You got me to like ball my eyes out and then, yeah, I don't know what to do. I have so many things to ask you and I want to ask you something that's almost going to, you know, put you on the spot about yourself. 
mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Go ahead. And then you can, again, jump over the couch and strangle me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching the documentary, and I love the documentary. But I was a little bit confused yeah. because there's clips of you doing stand-up comedy in right. the movie yeah. that are, you know, great clips of you showing you in front of these sold-out crowds and people loving Madison. you. Yeah, we did, we did some shots in Madison. And I just didn't really understand, like, because I don't know anything about the bond that you have with you and your brothers except for the documentary. And I don't know, in your mind, as a documentarian and as a producer of the film, I was trying to understand the reasoning behind your story and how it was with the film and your stand-up in the film relating to your brother and I was yeah. hoping you could share that with me because that's the one part of the documentary honestly I think that even though I loved it I didn't understand why it was in there I don't know if he developed that enough in the in the in the documentary and I when we started out we needed a through line through the whole thing and and we decided since I was a stand up and really I sold asphalt before I got into comedy Chris in our family my family's made up of bankers and businessmen and Chris sort of paved the way into comedy, which was something very unusual in my family. And then when he did that, that sort of opened it up with my brother, John and myself going, well, Hey, let's do this. You know? So Chris definitely inspired me to go into doing stand up, And I think when they did the documentary, he wanted to, the reason I'm in stand-up and the reason I'm doing what I've done is all because of him. So I think they wanted to sort of tap into that, but I don't think they developed it enough in the film, which is unfortunate. I, I mean, I don't, I wish they would have just let me out of it. I think rather than, uh, I think they just wanted me as kind of a narrator kind of thing throughout the whole thing. But since I'm doing stand-up and I'm kind of carrying on the, uh, but even though Johnny still does, he does commercials and that kind of thing. And so I don't know if that really needed, if there's a flaw in that thing, that's probably it right there. I don't know why they did that. And you know, it's weird me. I'm sitting across from you and I'm not suggesting it's a flaw. What I'm suggesting. They should have developed it more. What I'm suggesting is, is that I saw you in that way a few times and then I'm thinking, well, is he going to be in it more like this or what's happening? So now I want to share this with the audience. You could see like a thing with all Kevin Farley doing stand up and you'd be thrilled, or you could see a thing with the documentary alone and be absolutely thrilled. I just was yeah. not quite understanding the structure of that where there was so much because yeah. basically the film is, I'd say it's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'd say it's 90%, 95% uh, all these interviews and clips of Chris, and then there's probably 5% that's oh. you doing stand up. Would that be accurate? Yeah. And then I think they had us, me driving around uh, into our neighborhood. Which was beautiful. Beautiful. And then when you were in this like. sort of, it's meant to be the the narrator throughout the whole thing. Got it. Okay. And I think that's my role in the the film. Got it. It's just kind of like me taking you through where we grew up and. And how we, uh, how Chris made it to, from Madison to Chicago to LA and New York. Got it. Now keep in mind, I did see it. I'm just kind of like the narrator throughout the whole thing. Well, you're more than the narrator. (laughs) I want to ask you another question, a business question. Okay. Boy, I don't know the business side. And then we're going to get into some other stuff. Okay. Now, 
I'm very passionate about this. And again, another question that you might probably jump over the couch with that has nothing to do with anything content wise or anything in your life or personal or your brother. I notice here, okay, it says Kevin Farley, co-executive producer. Yeah. I am Chris Farley. Now. Sure. I am well aware because of my history in this crazy business. Yeah. That credits don't cost anything. Mm -hmm. They cost nothing. Okay. Yeah. In my humble opinion, I don't, I saw the list of people who worked on this film and it's, it's wonderful and there's a lot of great people. Yeah. But I would like to think that this movie, there's a chance this movie isn't going to get made unless you're involved in it. Would that be a correct assumption? Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. So I look at this. I mean, we don't get those people without me being, I mean, when I started this thing, I did it because there's been a lot of biographies about my family. And I think I got inspired because there was some biography on Spike. It wasn't on Spike. It was on Bravo or something. I'm, I'm doing stand up in San Jose and I go into the green room and there's this, there's my family on this, on the television and there's my dad. They portrayed him like a gangster and, you know, Chris is this wild man and, you know, it was all the salacious stuff. And there's been a few biographies about my family and about Chris. And it's all been about the stuff that sells TV shows, which is he was crazy and his father was insane and all that kind of stuff. And I just got a little tired of it. I've seen too many of those things, you know? So I wanted to do something of people that really knew him, people that really understood who he was and also understand my family and just sort of write the record here. Yeah. So this is where I'm going with this. Yeah. This is a business question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Credits, credits don't cost anything. uh Okay. Yeah. The number one credit in a film that's released theatrically, a film that goes theatrically, the way the credits work, if those of you who don't know, producer is the number one credit, executive producer number two, co-executive producer number three. In television, if it's a television and it's exclusively television, this is the dilemma for films that are trying to get distribution in theaters and sometimes it goes to television. But in television, yeah. okay, television shows, the number one credit is executive producer, number two, co-executive producer, number three, uh, producer normally. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's credits in between that they put in, but that's normally the way it works. So this film doesn't get made without you. Probably not. Not, yet not the you, people in yet there. No. Your credit that's assigned to you that you accepted yeah. Yeah. is a credit that is lower than the highest credit. Why sure. is that? Because I'm not good at business, Barry. <laughs> Basically. I think I got snookered probably. It if doesn't you were my cost manager. A, it doesn't cost a thing. I don't know. I probably made a bad decision there, you know. But I know that you know, looking back, you just point that out to me. I wish you were my manager. <laughs> I really do. I'm like stunned. Yeah. This doesn't I mean, this get made without me. doesn't get made without you. I no, mean, I know. And all they have to do is just change a little word here, a little few letters. Yeah. And you're the guy who's acknowledged that way. So I actually, um, that Well, if you wouldn't away. mind calling those guys after this podcast, I think we could straighten this whole thing out. I will call them and mm-hmm. they'll, they'll have to change the print. Listen, brother, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
Help me out, please. <laughs> but I will only do that if Michelle. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Michelle does her thing. I can't even look up now. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I really am scared to look up, and I'm going to share with you why. And nobody knows this about me, and I'm sharing this. And my mom passed away about four months ago, but I'm sharing right. it. When I was little, my mom used to walk around the house with this like slip and she had very, very large chest and she didn't wear a bra and she used to walk around this thing. And ever since I was a kid, I said to myself, I'm never going out with a girl with big boobs. It scares me. And, I, and I'm just going to be a leg man from now on. Yeah, I'm going to be a leg man. And so now. now I'm on this podcast and I'm just looking yeah, at, at, at Kevin and I'm not staring off in the distance because I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to see something that might remind me of those, those days. Exactly. Okay, we're going to go way, 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 way back. Okay. All right. So take me back to you growing up and the way your family was and the dynamic and the whole thing. And what was your first inspiration to getting into this business? No, I, yeah, we're going way back. I guess growing up, we had four boys and one girl. Christopher was obviously the middle disturbed child. So, I mean, his antics were just kind of, we just thought he was never going to amount to much, you know, I mean, he failed out of all school and he never did well in school. He got in trouble, but his, every time he got in trouble, it was always not vicious trouble, just trying to make people laugh, you know, but he wasn't very, he wasn't abiding by any of the rules. And I don't know, today they would call that uh, autistic. I don't know what they would call it. ADD, probably ADD. Yeah. And they give the kid a pill, you know, but back then they just let him go. The nuns would just let him go, you know? And so he knew. That he was, he never thought he was dumb, but he never really did well in school or he never really did well uh, in any kind of uh, rigid environment. So he found uh, acting when he was around. We went up to camp, and this says this in the documentary. They had a play when we did, when we were at camp, and he found he was really good at that, you know, and he was the star when he was like 12 years old. And so he just sort of, that's the first inkling he thought, well, hey, this is something I can do and I can do well. You say he was the star, but no one's giving him the lead in the play. Oh, he did get the lead. Yeah, he did. Get oh, the yeah. He's saying Elvis teddy bear at the age of 12. And it literally knocked the audience out. Everybody who stood up and had gave a standing ovation at the age of 12 singing teddy bear. Remember the song teddy bear? You want to sing a few baby? Bars? Let me be a loving teddy bear. Put a chain around my neck. Lead me anywhere. Oh, won't you be my teddy bear? So Chris got up there and nailed the crowd. He just killed that. And so from that, he's like, okay, this is something I can do. He wasn't that great at athletics. He was a good football player. It wasn't that great. Of a Were player. you in the audience for that? Yeah. Program? And I realized, oh man, I said, this is something you can do. Thank God. <laughs> we found something he could do. And he was thank he thanked God that he found something he could do. He always said, "Thank God I'm an actor. Thank God I found something I can do well." And your dad and your mom are together at this time. Yeah. And what was your dad doing? What was your mom doing? What kind of socioeconomic environment were you living in? We were rich as shit. No, I'm just kidding. Dad did well. He he sold asphalt, which is oil from the asphalt. But dad did pretty well. But he was a salesman, you know. And so he's always on the road and that kind of thing. But he's really funny. Dad was really funny. He could uh, 
command. Uh, he had a very commanding presence, a big man, about 6'3", 300 pounds, big man, big presence. What and about your mom? Tiny, about this big. So dad was giant and mom was a little tiny, and they, together they had a pretty good show going on. Now, were any of the children tiny? None of us, no. <laughs> None of us. We're all pretty big, yeah. So, yeah, a dad was a really booming voice and a big man and a big salesman, and Chris looked up to him a lot when we were growing up, and he tried to imitate dad. Most of the, most of the humor comes from my mom, who's really funny, but dad's sort of focus and discipline is where, I mean, otherwise Chris would have been just a vagrant, you know, just like <laughs> getting in a lot of trouble. But he thought, well, let me focus my energies into theater. And that came from my dad. He was a pretty disciplined guy. But the, all the humor comes from my mom. She was really, really funny and goofy. And so you, uh, there was that show. And then did you start doing talent shows and plays or no? I just saw what he would do. And I, I thought, you know, we were competitive in everything. So I thought, well, she, I want to do that too. You know, I think growing up, I was just like lost. I was selling asphalt for dad. And then I go, well, Chris is doing comedy. I want to go down to second city. And so I just went down to second city and started doing comedy down there and acting down there. And I lived in Chicago for four or five years and then came out to LA to do sitcoms and that. And I didn't want to go on SNL cause I knew he would just, he destroyed SNL. I mean, he just, owned that place you know and i don't think anyone's ever gone through snl that has owned it maybe belushi i don't know but there's very few people that have owned the whole show like he did you know hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business that's why i'm offering you my blueprint for success a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Well, normally when somebody owns the whole show, what happens is, I remember this, I think it was in the... Uh, late 90s, maybe in the early 2000s, Norm MacDonald started dominating the show. Dominating, yeah. On the weekend update. Yeah, he did. And then he yeah. would do some characters that they threw him in on. This was a guy who never acted in his life, and yeah. they made him as Burt Reynolds, and he was fantastic. Fantastic. And he, and he started like really having this thing, which was this feeling like no one could touch him. Yeah. And you're watching and you're excited and it's the season and it's like you're seeing the first 13 or 10 episodes and then you get back from your Christmas break and you tune in the show and for weekend update you can't wait and it's Colin Quinn. <laughs> Colin would love to hear that. Colin Quinn is on <laughs> Colin Quinn is on the on the dais of the weekend update and Norm <laughs> McDonald is off the show. Yeah, and he so fired and for ridiculous reasons 
You know, I talked to Norm about that, and he, it still bothers him, I think. You know, it's just ridiculous the way that, uh, personally, I think Saturday Night Live is a very, I would never want to work there myself. I would just be like, oh, I, I don't have the uh, the thick skin. But you know? you know how there's three sides to every story. And so, yeah. you know, my feeling is that he was taken out of Saturday Night Live because I think the illusion was that he felt that he was bigger than the show or he felt that he was bigger presence oh. than any of the other artists on the show. And he may not have verbalized that he but may never showed. have said it, but it kind of showed the way he walked through the hallways and the way he yeah. performed on the show. Norm does not lack confidence. That's the one thing Norm does not lack. And, uh, he might have been guilty of that, yeah. And maybe they got a little pissed off at that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that guy is pretty confident. That's why he's so good at what he does, though. I mean, he's never been lacking. In, I, talk about fearless. Norm MacDonald is fearless, absolutely fearless. I want to um, talk to you about something, you know, growing up with your brother. You know, I see my uh, two sons. They're 10 and 11. And... Oftentimes, one of my sons will feel like the other one is dominating in a certain area of life. Right. And very competitive and trying to feel like, how am I going to get to that point where my brother is getting this attention? Yeah. And recently something happened and it really blew me away. And I think I might have talked about it once where one of my kids was excelling in athletics. The other kid was doing really good, too, in sports, but just not right to the level of <laughs> right. the other one. Sounds like my life. And I yeah. remember he discovered a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And he started working on this Rubik's Cube over and over again. And then the other kid got the Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And then he was like, again, oh, and now it's another thing he's... He's going to try to be better than me. I was the one who got the Rubik's Cube. And I remember walking into his bedroom and seeing him working on the Rubik's Cube. And he wasn't going to bed. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I, I, I can't crack this. I got to crack this, Daddy. I said, you've been here eight hours working on this. Anyway, yeah. next morning, as I think I've stated one time before, comes into my room. And he does it in less than a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And the next morning when the other son woke up, couldn't do the Rubik's Cube. And I took that other son aside, the one that did the Rubik's Cube, and I said, look, do you know why you're doing the Rubik's Cube in a minute or under? It's because you've been working on it and practicing on it for hours and hours and hours and hours. And sometimes it doesn't matter what talent is what or where it is or how great a talent is. If you work harder than them and outwork the competition, sometimes in the long run, you can beat people out. Yeah. So as you were growing up with your brother, was there ever a point in your life where you said, I'm going to take this guy down. I know I can pass this person. I know I can do something. I can be equal to him. I can do whatever. Was it always like, okay, he's got his strengths. I have mine. And, you know, yeah, this is the absolutely, way it is. Absolutely, because Chris and I were like twins. So 
we did everything competitively. How many months apart were you going? Well, maybe 12 months. So similar to my boys. Almost like a Irish twins, they call it. Yeah. So we did everything competitively, no matter what, you know, but I know, uh, like basketball, it doesn't matter. Whatever game we were playing, it ended up usually in a fight. And if I won, he would get angry. He was ultra competitive that way, you know, and, and people don't know that he was really did not like to lose. He hated losing in any kind of game. And he knew, I think in, instinctively he was better at crap. If, if there was a, let's say Robert Schmeigel would write a sketch and they needed to find the humor in it. They had a, they had a concept, but they didn't know how to push it over the edge. Where are we going to get the laughs here? Chris's genius came where he would come in and go, I know what to do instinctively, like lightning fast and go, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to make this funny and just make it funny where the writers would go. Oh, wow. We've got a concept here. We've got a you know basic thing of a sketch, but we need something to push it over the edge. And Chris would come in and just say, here's what I'm going to do. Boom, 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 boom. And you'd be like, whoa, that's exactly what it needs. And that's why he was on every sketch. You know, he would never write anything. He would just come in and go, what do you got written? Oh yeah. If I did this, if I did that, if I did this and I could make it back and I could make it better. He'd just make what you wrote much, much better. He knew he was better at that than anybody, almost anybody. And this is where, um, your brother was an anomaly Mm -hmm. because I would never, ever recommend to anyone in the business to sit back and let other people write for you. Yeah. I mean, that's normally the kiss of death Yeah, because it's like you're giving up the power to other people to yeah. help you launch your skill set, as opposed to somebody like Louis CK, who every week is writing for himself and directing yep. and producing for himself. Right. But Chris was like this anomaly that had so much power and force in his performances and so much confidence that literally writers could shut him out and only give him one line. Yeah. And he would still steal the entire sketch. Well, there's a funny story about there is a typical to that point. Sandler, Chris was filming Tommy Boy at the time, and he was flying back and forth on a private jet from Tommy Boy set in Toronto to New York City and doing the show, and he was exhausted. And so when he got done with an 18-hour shoot on Tommy Boy, he flew back to New York City, and he was only in one sketch, and it was called The Pepper Boy. And Sandler wrote it, and it was about a guy who was going around and giving pepper to everybody. And like Dana Carvey was his mentor, you know, and he's like, here's how you do the pepper. But it was all Sandler, and it was all Dana Carvey. And then Sandler said, hey, Farley, you got one line. And he goes, why, thank you, Pepper Boy. And that's really all Chris's line was. And so. But but, <laughs> but just to let you know and not to give up anything, Farley wasn't just going to go and yeah. sit down and just deliver the line. No. He went into full makeup yes. and had like a beard like Abe yeah. Lincoln put on himself. Right, right. And delivered the line like, like it was like dice clay at Madison right, Square Garden. Right. And he said, why, thank you, boy. And it was one of the funniest things in the whole scene, you know. But he would always say to like Sandler, right before he went on stage, he's like, I'm going to get you. 
and that was his competitive nature. Like he was, he thought of comedy as kind of like a basketball game. He's like, I'm going to nail you. I'm going to dunk on you. You know, watch me. Here we go. And he thought about that like that, you know, it was like a game to him. And this is the thing that if you're out there in any business, 99.9% of the time, if you walk up to one of the people that is attempting to get to the next level like you (laughs) and you walk up to him and say, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. They will try to crush you like a bug. <laughs> yeah, right. But Chris Farley would walk up to you and say, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And you just laugh about it and yeah. you'd say, oh, okay. Yeah. If Jay yeah. Moore walked up to Adam Sandler and <laughs> yeah. said, hey, buddy, uh, I'm going to get you in this sketch. I mean, Sandler would tear <laughs> Jay a new asshole. Right. right. But Chris had enough confidence where he was insecure about himself in a lot of different ways, you know, he didn't believe. And that's another thing about the thing. I would think people should believe in themselves. I wish he believed in himself a little bit more, but he knew when he was going to nail you in a scene and he had extreme confidence in his comedic ability. And he would look at you and wink at you and go, I'm going to nail you in the scene. I'm going to get you. And then he would just bring, he'd bring it bring it more than anybody I've ever seen in comedy or in show business. All right. So you're watching him at second city. You're watching him now. What's fascinating about this is that there are things that he was known for. And people who don't know this, when you're doing a test for Saturday night live, there's a number of different ways it can go. If you're a stand up, what Lauren and Marcy Klein and the team will typically do Mm. is they'll go to a comedy club where they will do test deals with you and you will perform your stand-up and then they will bring you in within the next week or so or two weeks to do your test on the stage that the host introduces the musical act on and they will film it that way and the writers will be in a dark place with a little light and you'll hear a little bit of laughter but very little when you do your test. The people who are improvisational people Normally what happens is they won't test you. They will go to see you live, but they won't test you because there's so many people in the group and the improv troupe and they see a wide ranging group of people. And then if they like you, they will bring you to New York and test you with the other people. So typically if you're a stand up, you normally have to do at least two tests. If you're an improvisational person, there's normally one. And then if he's not sure, He'll bring you back a second time. But what I was going to say was when he was at Second City, he wasn't a writer. No. So who was credited at Second City for writing probably the thing that people remember him well for, which was Matt Foley, Foley, motivational speaker. Obviously, Matt Foley was, I believe, a priest in Madison, Wisconsin. Matt Foley was a priest, uh, is a priest now. Uh, that we played rugby with and uh, he served in Afghanistan and went to Afghanistan and is now, I think in Chicago, Illinois. And his name is forever <laughs> matched with uh, the motivational speaker guy. He's a Catholic priest, a good guy, really nice guy and love Matt. And uh, Bob Odenkirk originally wrote that sketch at second city. Bob is now better call Saul. And Bob wrote it for himself, 
And then he did it once at Second City, and then he looked at Chris and said, "Oh, geez, I think you you'd probably do well in this." And Chris goes, "Yeah, I, th- I immediately it's one of those things where he once he knew he could nail a part, he go, "Oh, I know what to do with this." And he from the opening sketch, he's like, "I'm going to play this guy, you know, through the roof, and I'm going to take him all the way to the top, you know, yelling, screaming, and that kind of thing." And once he did it once, Bob was like, well, that's yours then. <laughs> that is absolutely yours. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And that's one of the things about the stage that is very hard to understand from the outside looking in. And I've talked about this before on theatrical stages. There's a lot of sharing of ideas. There's a lot of sharing of mm-hmm. characters. There's a lot of sharing of concepts. There's a lot of sharing of writing. Yeah. And people don't stand around and say, Hey, I wrote that. That's no. mine. And so what's unusual about it, especially in the writing world, is that I can guarantee you something. Bob Odenkirk never made a dime from the motivational speaker Chris on would, Saturday Chris Night Live. Him, no, not, but Chris would always kick him some money. Yeah, but I'm saying like, but so, yeah, he so, always so, tipped his hat at Bob. I mean, my so God. he goes on Saturday Night Live, he does yeah. the most famous characters on the show and helps yeah. bring attention. And Bob, the writers on the show who <laughs> right. wrote the sketches right. for that character, would make money every week. Bob Odenkirk, nothing. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, and I don't know if Bob's upset about that. I haven't talked to him about it, but I know that Chris always thanked Bob for that. Literally handed him one of the most iconic things. But Bob's in the documentary saying it wouldn't have been anything without Chris. So it's a give and take. And I think at second city, they did that. They improvise and, the way they write at Second City is they'd have improv sessions and Bob came up with that character and said, there's a kernel of something here. And once again, it was one of those things where it just needs a little bit of extra something. And Chris came in and got that, you know, that was the one thing where Chris's genius shined, you know, he'd have a kernel of an idea, which is funny, a motivational speaker that lives in a van down by the river. And he comes in and he starts, he starts telling everybody, but he lives in a van down by the river. That was the kernel that Bob came up with. And then Chris took it to the, to the end zone. So when you're both at Second City, tell me your goals for the future 
and how they related to Chris's goals. When I first saw Chris at Second City, I thought, oh, this is something I want to do, you know. You know, the the review and the uh, just the way they did things, it was so exciting to me just seeing it. It's like seeing like, oh, my God. I think musicians always say when they first saw their first rock band, I was like, well, that's what I want to do. And I, I thought Chris thought the same thing. I think when he was in Marquette, he wanted to, uh, he was in the play at Marquette and he wanted to quit school. My dad said, let's just stay in school and finish it out. But he knew that's what he wanted to do was go to Second City because that was the mecca in the Midwest where you went if you wanted to be a comedian and and a respected comedian because Mike Nichols and Alan Alda and all those guys came from there. Bill Murray and all those guys came. Our heroes were at Second City, so... Chris is like, I got to go down there. That's where I got to go. And I felt the same way. I thought once he did it, I thought it was okay to do that. My dad wasn't too upset with it. So (laughs) we all went down there and started taking classes and just absorbing all we could about improvisation with Del Close was a big influence on Chris. And Del Close, for all those of you don't know, is probably known as one of the greatest Mm -hmm groundbreaking the grandfathers of all of improvisation and as probably kevin will tell you had a big falling out with the second city and started improv olympics yeah, he and, did you know uh, Dell had like things that chris used as his mantra in comedy and one of the things the term killing chris always thought of Dell when he the term killing Dell would say the term killing was if you made the audience laugh so hard that they puked and they almost died that was your objective. And he, and Dell had a very, uh, uh, a philosophy of attacking the stage, which Chris latched onto be a very aggressive and be very, and treat it like Chris treated comedy, like a football game. You, you went out there and you were aggressive and you hit the guy and you, your, your objective was to massacre the audience and make them laugh so hard that they puke, you know, and they get sick. That was your objective, and he got got into that. <laughs> but Dell was a heroin addict, and he had that kind of like fucked up philosophy that Chris kind of latched onto, and he sort of like okay, but he could grab onto something like okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be very aggressive on stage, and I'm going to if I don't get a laugh, then I I didn't do my job. You know, your job was to make them puke, so he liked that. <laughs> He liked that. Ironically, which is what heroin does to you. Um, <laughs> That's right. How did you know? How did you know that Dell was a heroin addict? Everybody knew it for a long time. No, because it's something that no one sees. That's the one That's drug true. you don't see. I I never saw him like you know obviously on heroin. He was a good director as far as I'm concerned, but uh, he admitted to it. I think you know he was. I think he'd have ups and downs with it you know but through the 60s and 70s and 80s he battled it you know but he was uh an inspiration to so many people through improv and i mean he was the guru he was the guy that uh, started the whole thing you know he developed the herald and he developed he developed long form improvisation i want you to talk to our audience about these different forms of uh improvisation because Mm -hmm. It's an amazing kind of thing that you don't really get to hear about. 
and they're never really defined. So please talk first yeah. about what the Herald is. Right. When we went down to Second City and Chris went down to Improv, Improv Olympic, um, it's called I.O. now. In Chicago, there was a thing called the Herald. And basically what it is, is you have a group of, say, eight players or theatrical or actors. We call them players. And they would come out and do a scene, you know, improvise a scene. And then somebody would edit that and improvise another scene based on a suggestion, obviously, from the audience. And then they would do another scene. And they would do a group game. You know, the whole team would get involved. Then they do another set of three scenes, which were inspired by the first set of scenes. And then they would do another game, which was a group game, which typically involved a scene that involved the entire cast. And then they would do a set of another three scenes or vignettes or whatever you want to call them that was inspired by the first two. And so your hope was that it would all become seamless and would all tie in and you would see a through line, which often did happen, you know, a through line through the improv set, if you will, or the, and Dell didn't know what to call it. So he just called it Harold, you know, which is, he named it Harold. Yeah. So we called it the Herald and he came up with it. And oftentimes, you know, you would find, you know, something that would happen that would come from that, which was genius. And it, it was a form of theater. It's Brechtian theater. Really? It's, it's, it's form is Brechtian, but Dell took Brecht into another form, which was the Herald. Now Brecht was a guy that didn't believe in, you know, London theater. He just thought everybody could be an actor, you know. And so improv stemmed from that. Improv also stemmed from Viola Spolin and all of her work. And so all of that came from the 60s and the Second City developed all of that work. And it, it just told that basically anybody could be a performer if as long as you trusted your instincts and you trusted, you know, yourself. You could be an actor. You didn't have to, didn't worry about talent. You just, as long as you trusted your instincts was more important to Dell and to Brecht and to Second City, trusting your instincts is more important than whether or not you're the most talented person on the earth. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works 
and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... 
please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.